Thank you, Howard and worship team, for leading us in those songs of praise, reminding us of the resurrection of Christ and the impact upon that Christ has upon our lives. Thank you for that uh, thought and appreciate it. even the last hymn particularly that we sung, uh, reminding us of the compassion and the mercy of God upon us. What a wonderful truth and uh, very uh, appropriate truths as, they come, as we come to our passage this morning. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 2. Uh, as we'll look, uh, continue our study through this book that teaches us about how true faith, genuine faith in Christ, works out in our lives. It makes a difference and changes us and transforms us. <coughs> Let us, uh, if you do not mind, stand one more time in honor of God's word whom we, whom we read. In honor of God, whose word we read. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, the word of God reads, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with gold ring with, and dress in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that... Mercy triumphs over judgment. Particularly, it is your mercy, O oh Lord, that triumphs over the judgment that we deserve. Father, Lord, all of us deserve nothing but your wrath. We deserve eternal destruction, suffering apart from you and hell. But yet, Lord, because of your mercy, your compassion upon sinners like us. That we who have believed upon Christ are spared. Can have a, the, the, the hope and promise of eternal life. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy towards us. And Father, we understand. We know that we ought to show the same grace and mercy to others. 
not because they deserve it, not because they would ever earn it, but it's because you have shown mercy and grace to us. Lord, cause us to be mindful of who you are as we come to this passage. Help us to understand that a faith in Christ flows into a life that does not show favoritism to others, just as you have not shown favoritism. And Lord, instead, you abundantly showed us an undeserving favor in Christ. Lord, we ask you to open our eyes now to these truths as we come before your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The title of our sermon this morning is That Faith Shows No Favoritism. As human beings, we all tend to treat people differently depending upon who they are, depending upon a variety of external or, or material differences. That's how we live in, this, uh, in our world on a day-to-day basis. We treat people differently depending upon one's looks, one's wealth or lack of it, one's age, one's gender, one's ethnicity, the way one talks, the kind of clothes one wears, one's occupation, one's car, one's family, and so on and so forth. Yet when we show preferential treatment of one person at the expense of another due to such external differences, the Bible calls this favoritism or partiality. And when we say these words, favoritism and partiality, though, to me at least, uh, maybe, probably to you as well, they seem kind of like innocent words. They don't seem that bad. They don't sound like murder or adultery. It's just favoritism, partiality. Don't we all have favorite baseball teams that we root and we root against the other teams? Isn't that a favoritism? Aren't we all partial to somebody special in our lives? that we would take care of, that we'd pay particular attention to instead of others in our lives? Yes, we do show favor. We do, we do show favoritism. Uh, we do our show partiality. The Bible, however, particularly condemns favoritism or partiality in those situations where God calls for the same treatment of all. This is kind of important for us to, to keep in mind because there are many circumstances where we as the people of God are called to discern, to discriminate between one and the other. And we, we'll talk about one particular instance a little bit later. But in those circumstances, those situations where God calls us to treat all the same, to show favoritism, to show partiality, would be wrong. For instance, church membership. Now, God's Word doesn't teach us that anyone can be a member of Christ's church, right? doesn't mean, that, hey, just let anybody who wants to be a part of the church to be part of the church. But that one has to be a believer in Christ. Am I not correct? We can and must discriminate at those times between believers and unbelievers when it comes to recognizing who belongs or does not belong to the church of Christ. However, within the church, we are to treat all the members the same, aren't we? We just read from the scriptures this morning how we are all members of one another, how we all ought to have the same care for one another. The Bible elsewhere teaches how we ought to have the same, be of the same mind toward one another. We are to love one another. All the one another's in the Bible teach us that how we are, to, we are called to treat each other in the body of Christ the same, with the same, and not to show favoritism, not to show partiality. So it is in light of these commands, then, 
that we understand that our passage, the main point of our passage today, that favoritism among believers in, is incompatible with our faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Bible tells us that God is completely impartial. Deuteronomy 10, 17 tells us, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Romans 2, 11, For there is no partiality with God. Because God is impartial, we ought, therefore, to be impartial as well, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. Yet, as I was studying this passage, reflecting upon it, I find that favoritism is one of those sins that we hardly ever talk about. It's a sin that I've, I've not thought about much until I came to this passage. Can you remember the last time someone came up to you and shared, oh, pray for me, brother or sister, I'm struggling with favoritism? I don't think so. I can't remember any time. And yet the Bible declares, as we're going to find out, that it's a sin. And yet I know that I have been guilty of it, and I'm sure you know that you have been guilty of it as well. And perhaps it's because we are just simply not mindful of this sin. Well, uh, hopefully, be that, if that is the case, instead of just outright, you know, rebellion against God, today's passage reminds us then of the seriousness of this sin. And, I, and hopefully it will challenge us as followers of Christ to understand that favoritism and faith in Christ do not mix. James in this chapter is continuing for us this theme of his theme of faith that works. A genuine faith in Jesus Christ will manifest in our lives and in the way we think, the way we the way we speak and the way what we do, the way we act. In chapters 1 verse 2 to 18 we learn how faith works out in the midst of our trials. As trials test our faith in Jesus Christ, we can joyfully endure seeking wisdom from God and resisting temptation to sin. In chapter 1, verse 19 to 27, we learn how James, write, how James says that faith works in our response to God's word. That we aren't just merely hearers of the word, but we are people who do the word as well. <clears throat> verse 27 of chapter 1 ends with an affirmation that one of the things that characterize those who are doers of the word is that they have compassion, they have shown mercy, they visit orphans and widows, in their distress. And these orphans and widows were the poorest and most helpless of people in those days. They were likely the victims of favoritism and partiality. So in chapter 2, verse 1 to 13, then, James writes about how, and challenges his readers, that faith works in showing no favoritism, which is our passage this morning. And so we look as an outline for us, as we're going to look at these 12 verses, 13 verses, we find three reasons why showing favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Jesus Christ. If we claim to have a faith in Jesus Christ, we profess faith in Christ, then favoritism, partiality, do, are just completely incompatible. They do not mix with our faith. We ought not to allow ourselves to continue showing uh, favoritism. So let's take a look then at these uh, three reasons why uh, favoritism is incompatible with faith. Number one, we look in verse 1 to 4 that favoritism divides those whom Christ unites. Favoritism divides. It creates a division, separates those whom God brings together. 
And that, does not, and that is not right. James begins in verse 1 with, how, with his main point. Favoritism prohibited. Verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. James continues to address uh, his readers here as my brethren. That is particularly the Jewish believers in Christ that were dispersed uh, outside of Jerusalem. James, again, once again, is beginning a new section here. Remember, uh, I told you a couple sermons ago how we can identify when James begins a new section by addressing his readers as brethren and then giving a command. That's almost every section. Every time he begins a new section, there you're going to find brethren or beloved brethren or my beloved brethren, my brethren, and then a command. And here's my brethren and the command. Do not hold your faith. That's the command. Don't hold your faith in Jesus Christ with a partiality or favoritism. Now, though both words are actually the same, are really the same. We, our English is different, but you'll notice there's the personal favoritism found here in verse 1. The verb form of it is found later in verse 9, and so it means translated as show partiality. So these two words are used synonymously, interchangeably. The Greek word here for show favoritism is literally the idea, is, the, is literally the word that means receiving a face, okay? Uh, not a face transplant, but it's like when you look upon us. And I think many of you come from uh, cultures that talk about, a culture that may talk about showing face. You know, you give face to someone in your culture. By, you should basically show respect or honor to them. You show them favor. Well, here's this idea. Hebrew, it comes out, probably comes out of this, related to this Hebrew idea of receiving a face. That is, you know, you would actually look upon someone's face if you like them. But if you don't like them, then you go, no, I'm not going to receive your face. I'm not going to look at you. And we do that sometimes. We're not angry at someone. We don't like them. We don't look at them. We don't receive their face. We don't look at their eyes. You, should, you know, you should wonder, if I never look you in the face when I talk to you, that I probably don't like you. That's probably what it is, okay? Unless I really have this problem with eye contact, which is something, you know, I used to. Anyways, favoritism is the word here. And it, James's point is pretty basic. You can't have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ is glorious. He's the risen Savior. He has died on the cross for our sins. He has paid the penalty of our sins. And he's risen, and he's seated at the right hand of God there in heaven, preparing a place for us to enter into heaven, to be with him. And here we are sinning, showing favoritism, dividing the church of Jesus Christ. Showing that, and that, is what, that, is, that does not fit. You can't have faith in Jesus and also show favoritism. That's Paul's, that's James' point. James then illustrates in verse 2 to 3. The grammar here of the, in the original Greek indicates that this is a hypothetical situation. James is writing to Jewish believers all across, uh, all across the, the Mediterranean. So it's not necessarily that he has one particular situation that he's heard of, that he's aware of, but he's writing in general a hypothetical situation, though a likely situation that could happen in the respective churches and gatherings. Verse 2 we read, For if a man comes into your assembly with, gold, with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand over there. Or sit down here by my footstool. So James is uh, speaking here. First of all, uh, the, we notice the location of this hypothetical situation. It is the assembly. It's actually the Greek word synagogue. And so it kind of indicates this, one of those indicators that Jesus is, James is writing to Jewish believers early in, the early in the early church because they were still calling their gatherings synagogues. Synagogue. They were still because that's where the Jewish 
Jewish uh, uh, people would gather after, uh, after the exile. They would always have little, their own synagogues that they would gather in. So it was a public gathering. This is a public gathering of the church. Now, the situation is pretty, uh, pretty uh, straightforward. A rich man, poor man come in, and the rich man is showing great favor. They're giving him one of the best seats in the house right next to pastor. Right? That's the best seat, right? That's my... <laughs> There's plenty of seats over here, but no, that's the best seat. Now, but then the poor man comes in and says, no, you stand by the wall like wing sun back there, okay? <laughs> what? Man, who's showing favorite? Who's showing? Who's? Now, of course, he, you know, it's not, we're not dishonoring him by doing that, but he's holding, sit there, or worse, sit by my footstool. Now, we know Hebrew, you know your Hebrew uh, culture, you know that a footstool is a sign of one's authority over another. So if you sit by a footstool, someone has authority. So when you say, sit by my feet. It's saying, hey, I have authority over you. It's kind of a putting down. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dishonoring kind of a thing. See, one of, what we learn here in this situation this, or this circumstance is that one of the most common forms of favoritism uh, back then and even today is the favoritism toward the rich at the expense of the poor. That's, that's one of the most common because when the rich have wealth and means and the poor have no means and therefore they are helpless against uh, unjust treatment, favoritism. Now, now this situation that we just read, do we think that it could happen here? You know, I was just thinking about, well, let me think. Suppose Bill Gates or, you know, pick your fame, most, you know, famous rich person, okay, uh, and one of our many homeless people in the city walked in through those doors, and they say, oh, I want to learn about Jesus, and they just came in, you know. Who would you like to sit by you. When I thought that question, I, honestly, I, I answered Bill Gates. I, I'm way more curious about it. Maybe, is it favoritism of sorts? Why is that? Whose attendance would you be more excited about? Who would you be more excited about coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord? We tend to show honor and favoritism toward those who are rich those who are wealthy, those who have means, rather than the poor. And when we do, like in this hypothetical situation that James points out here, the outcome is not good. The outcome leads to division, which, which serves as a reproof of our favoritism in verse 4. Let's look at this, verse 4. Have you not, when you do this, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? The question expects a yes answer. In fact, there's a whole series of rhetorical questions in these verses, each one expecting a yes answer. To make distinctions here literally means to divide. It's an idea, the, the root idea is that to divide. See, when, showing, when we show favoritism, essentially we are dividing among ourselves. We say, I'm going to treat you or this group in a certain way. I'm going to treat this group in a different way. And we choose different means to divide the groups, but we treat them dif differently. And when we do that, when we divide among our church, we divide the church into these different groups. The older people will favor the older people in the church, perhaps. Those who are young will favor the younger people in the church. You see the older people hanging out with the older people. They never talk to the young. You, you see the young people hanging out with the young. They never talk to the older people. That's favoritism. And this division occurs because James says 
you've set yourselves up as judges with evil motives. Now, evil motives is an idea that means evil reasonings or evil thoughts. It is our thoughts, our evil thoughts, that result in us showing favoritism. Why is it that the older people want to hang out with the older or the young hang out with the young? You know, there are some legitimate reasons, but I would venture to guess there are some also evil reasons. The older think that the young people don't know anything. How many of us older people have thought that before? But young people, you think the older people don't know anything, right? How many of us did think that before when we were younger? We all did. We've all thought these things. We, we all have these certain perceptions of one another. Those evil reasonings. You show favoritism because you think one is gender is better than another. One ethnicity is superior to the other. One profession is better than the other. And you treat these people differently. These are evil reasonings. In effect, you've divided and made distinctions in the church that Jesus Christ has brought together through his death. See, Paul, Paul also teaches us what Christ has done for the church. He teaches us that he has brought us together. In Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. He brings us, Jesus Christ, this, no matter who we are, brings us all together as one in the church of Christ. We ought not to divide it. Uh, another passage, Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. He's talking about the Jews and Gentiles, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Christ breaks down the, the barrier walls that divide people groups. Jews and Gentiles never got together. But here, because of Christ, he brings them together. Yet when we come into church, how can we then create divisions through our evil reasonings by treating people differently and, and tacitly? We might not tell them directly, I don't want you here. But how we treat people differently, in effect, tells people we don't really want you here. And it's so subtle for most of us. I've thought about this. I've thought, man, why do we treat people differently? Everybody would, should acknowledge that we, tend to, we, have, we are given tendencies to show favoritism or partiality. We even discriminate. And though not all the time, hopefully as believers, we don't intentionally do so. But it is because of our deep-seated evil reasonings. And those evil reasonings we use as judges, we discern between people, and we discriminate. We tend to do that. And the, the more we... And it would be to our advantage to think about, to consider why we do these things. Most of us, though, would never want to divide the church, would we? I mean, I don't think anyone wants to. No believer wants to do that. But what we learn here is that when we show favoritism, when we show partiality, we have at least in our attitudes divided the church of Christ. Favoritism is incompatible with faith in Christ. Because favoritism divides what Christ unites. Let's look at the second. The second reason for why our faith in Christ is incompatible with favoritism. Number two, favoritism in verse 5 to 7 dishonors those whom Christ honors. Faith, favoritism dishonors those whom Christ honors. Verse 5 tells us who Christ honors. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? James asks another rhetorical question, again, expecting a yes answer. 
He's using words here that speak of divine election, the doctrine of divine election, how God in eternity past chose a particular group of people to, for salvation to, to be saved. And particularly, whom did God choose, sovereignly choose to be saved according to this passage? It is the poor. James is referring here, as he does it throughout his letter, to much of Jesus' own teaching, Jesus' own words. In Jesus' Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 3, there Jesus said, Blessed is, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our pastor Alton preached on this a while ago, and it's, uh, it was, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I encourage you to go listen to that whole series on the Beatitudes. So the phrase here, poor in spirit, tells us that what really matters is not just particularly the materially poor, the poor in body perhaps, or in, in physical body, but this poor in spirit, the poor spiritually poor. One, the person who is poor in spirit is one who recognizes that he or she is spiritually bankrupt. They, he's a spiritual pauper. He has nothing. He can claim nothing. He can do nothing on his own to deliver himself from his poor condition. He realizes that he is bankrupt and that unless someone intercedes on his behalf, he will go to prison. course, the poor in spirit were also most likely those who were all poor in their, in their material possessions as well. And so often the poor, while when, particularly when we talk about God choosing the poor, he's speaking of those who are poor, yes, physically, but primarily there's this aspect of that those who are physically poor are those who are also poor in spirit. See, God in Christ chose the poor particularly to be recipients of faith. Now, of course, this isn't to say that the rich people, rich materially aren't saved, right? Because if you are poor in spirit, you can be rich materially and also poor in spirit. God chose you too. But James is describing here of particularly that of the poor physically who are also poor spiritually. When he looked at, when he, especially in the early church, the bulk and the majority of those who are being saved, who are part of the Jerusalem, particularly think even about the Jerusalem church, it was the poor. That's why they had all the programs. That's why they came together. That's why they had to feed the widows. There were a lot of poor who came to Christ. See, God primarily chose the poor to receive saving faith in Christ. And because of that faith, they are rich in Christ. The poor may look poor in the eyes of the world. They look like they don't have anything. They look like they have nothing to offer. There's no reason why I want to talk to you because, well, you have probably nothing interesting to say. You will not intrigue me or interest me. But they are actually, the poor are actually rich in the eyes of God. See, we look at the rich, materially rich in this world, and we think, oh, they have so much. But the materially rich will lose everything that they possess in this world. But the poor, who are also poor in spirit, though they look poor, what they have, they will never lose. And what they have is more valuable than anything a rich man may possess in this life. What they have is the kingdom of God. What they have is that they are heirs of the kingdom which God promised to those who love him. Without the poor doing anything on their part, Christ honors them by welcoming them into his kingdom. 
It's all of grace that he shows to them. It's the favor that God in Christ shows to them. Well, what does favoritism do? How does favoritism, when we show favoritism uh, toward the rich at the expense of the poor then, what does that do? Well, favoritism dishonors the poor. Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Favoritism dishonors the poor man by treating him as if he is less important or less righteous than the rich man. When, in fact, James points out, it is the rich that tend to be those who are unrighteous. It is the rich who are people who drag you into court. Then, as well as today, it is generally the rich who bring people to court. Because when, when you bring someone to court, you need a lawyer. And lawyers, well, they, they cost a little bit of money, right? So if you're poor, you can't afford a lawyer. Unless, you know, you're going to get a public defender. Then, you know. But this is when you take people to court. You've got to have money to take people to court. You have to be rich. So it is, James is correct. It's the, it's, it is the rich who personally drag you into court. They're the ones who use the resources to, put, to keep people down, to take people from the poor. Even, and I think we, we see this even our day. Favoritism dishonors the poor. But what's more and what's even worse, favoritism, favoritism honors those who dishonor Christ. Verse 7. Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? James writes. Another rhetorical question. Yes, of course. That's what happens when you show favoritism toward the rich. The rich are the ones not only who take you to court, but the rich are the ones who also at the same time blaspheme the name of Christ. The, it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. And therefore, the rich are those who blaspheme, tend to blaspheme the name of Christ. They mock the name of Christ. They do not need the name of Christ. Now, we don't know exact details of this blasphemy. James doesn't write it for us. He's, of course, writing in a very broad, hypothetical situation, of course. But the point is that these rich, those unbelievers were blaspheming Christ. And favoritism honors, when by honoring the rich man, we honor those who blaspheme Christ. How can we, who are believers in Christ, wanna, we want to honor Christ. We just sung songs about Christ. We want to praise him. But then in the next moment, when we go to fellowship, we show honor to the rich or we show honor to a particular group of people. We show dishonor to others. We, we ignore a certain group of people. That does not mix. Now, we as a middle-class church, of course, we, we may not think we do this as often or we don't think we show favoritism. As I was thinking about this, I meditate upon the fact that Christ has chosen the poor to be rich. So that tells you that, that of those who are going to be of the elect, the majority are going to be the poor. It's the poor who are poor, will become poor in spirit, who will recognize that they have nothing that they can bring. And though, yet those who are rich will find it difficult. They'll stumble over their wealth. They can't see beyond their wealth to say, I need a Savior. So if it is the poor... If it is the poor that Christ has chosen, then if we're going to go out witnessing, if we want to sow our, our, the seed of the gospel so that we can get, you know, practically speaking, a maximum return, should we be going to, you know, the financial district? Okay, well, maybe. Yeah. But the rich, the sea cliff? Should we be going out to, uh, you know, where's the richest community down there? Uh, Atherton, maybe? I don't know, something down. You know, some wealthy neighborhood down there, San Bruno, you know, where I live? Is that where we should go to witness, share the gospel of Christ? 
practically speaking, now, don't take this too far and you're going to make it all legalistic and, you know, say we, we, this has to be where, where we have to go. But there's a reasonable expectation that is why many churches do show, do, <laughs> part of their evangelist program is that they minister to the poor in their community. They go out to the homeless shelters. They go find out those who are helpless and they try to minister to them. Our mercy ministry is doing a wonderful job just creating us increasing awareness of those in our community who are helpless, those who are in need, those who are poor in spirit. Just to, I just share this because this is, it was just convicting thought to me. And I uh, pray that maybe that's something for you to ponder upon, us to ponder upon, and perhaps as we as a church we may grow in. In the remainder of this passage, then Jesus or James devotes significant thought to the third point of our passage. The third reason why favoritism and faith in Christ do not mix is that, is that favoritism ultimately disobeys the royal law of Christ. Favoritism disobeys the royal law of Christ. In verses 8 to 9, we see how favoritism violates this royal law. Verse 8, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. James introduces us to this phrase, the royal law. The word royal can also be translated as kingly law. And it's called royal, it's called, identified as a royal or kingly law because it is a law that it comes from the king himself. And the king is no, no less than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The royal law here in this verse is equated with the, com- the commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Recalled back, and this recalls us back to Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. When a particular lawyer came and tested Jesus by asking him, what is the foremost commandment in the law? And Jesus answered that the great and foremost commandment in the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and strength. Then he gave the second great and foremost commandment. He wasn't asked about it, but he gave it nevertheless. And that was, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, in giving those two commandments at the, at, at the question of, at, the, for, at this lawyer's question, tells us that for Jesus, these two commandments are connected. They can, are inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. You must love God, and you must also love your neighbor without yourself. You cannot love God and not love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do not love your neighbor as yourself, you are not loving God. Of course, this particular, the second great commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is a quote from Leviticus. It's from the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. There, Jesus affirms uh, the Old Testament law in Leviticus 19. And he, and he says, <clears throat> and he encourages, and he essentially summarizes, summarizes for us all the Old Testament law in these two commands. And so, therefore, favoritism is a violation of this law, this royal law, to love the neighbor as yourself. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. See, if you show partiality or favoritism, it is a failure to love your neighbor as yourself. And James says, it is a sin. If you show partiality, you are committing a sin. 
Favoritism, James further adds, is a transgression. It's an overstepping of a law. Significantly, in the same Levitical passage, Leviticus 19, where we find the royal law, the you shall love your neighbor as yourself, there we also find this pro- a prohibition against partiality as well. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But you are to judge your neighbor fairly. See, even then, he says, even the Levitical law, he said, it would be wrong to show partiality to the poor as well as the rich. So not only then does favoritism so uh, violate uh, the royal law, not only is it contrary to the Mosaic law, but it's also contrary to the royal law that Christ taught us. But James goes on to add, it's not just you're violating the, Jesus' royal law, but he says favoritism also violates the whole law. Verse 10 and 11, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Verse 10 tells us that even if one was able to keep the whole law, that's very hypothetical, no one can, and yet stumbles in just one, he becomes guilty of all. And this is a great evangelistic verse, you know, right? Because we all think, you know, hey, I'm a pretty good person. When you meet someone, you say, I'm a pretty good person. You show them this verse. Well, you know, the Bible says... That if you keep the whole law, if you stumble even in one, you've broken the whole law. You're guilty. You're guilty. It's actually very important to say you're guilty. It's not that you've broken all, but you're guilty of all. You're guilty of having broken the all of the laws. God treats you as you are guilt that you are guilty before it all. It only takes one sin. To become a transgressor of the whole law. We may think that favoritism isn't that bad. Maybe, oh, it's one of those, as people say, respectable sins that we have. But the fact is, and this verse tells us, that to show favoritism is a heinous sin. In that before a holy God, God shows, judges such sin. And the sin of favoritism is the same as this, is the, deserves the same punishment as the sin of murder, as the sin of, of adultery. It makes you, because you are ultimately a transgressor of the law. And it condemns us to death. So how should faith react then? Verses 12 to 13, James then kind of summarizes, he gives a final exhortation to his, his readers, his belie- the reader, these Jewish believers. And he, he summarizes by saying, faith obeys the royal law then. He exhorts us to obey and to not show favoritism. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. In a particular way, this way, speak, and this way, act. James emphasizes that favoritism, how we live, should show not only what we do, but it comes out in what we say as well. And he says, so speak, so act, as those who are to be judged. He's reminding us, us that there is a future judgment. 
that comes upon us, as, even as believers in Christ. Now, we know, hopefully we know we're a good Christian. We understand, hey, wait, Christ has died. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So God's not going to look at me and oh, you showed favoritism there, Henry. Oh, down to hell you go. You know, he's not going to look. That, it's not that kind of judgment. But we are going to be judged by the law of liberty, a law of liberty, a law of freedom, a law that, uh, a law that, is, uh, that is designed to set us free, a law that Christ has explained to us. It's the perfect, it actually goes back to 1, chapter 1, verse 25, there who looks intently at the perfect law, that is the, the complete law, the, uh, the law of liberty, and abides by it, that person, will, instead of being a forgetful but effectual doer, will be blessed in what he does. See, we'll be blessed in what we do as we follow the law of liberty. See, we are not required to obey the laws of God anymore. We're not required to obey the royal law, are we? We're not required as a mean, as an as a uh, means for our salvation, that is, particularly. That's important. We're not required to it. Instead, we are set free to obey it. This is the law of liberty. We are to follow this because we love God, because we love him, we love Christ, and that's why we want to love our neighbors, and that's why we want to show favoritism. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by this law, that Christ will evaluate us. We think of this as the judgment seat of Christ. There is going to be a time when judge Christ will evaluate us for our works, for the things that we do as believers. And that future judgment, James tells us, is a motivation for us, then therefore, to speak and so act in accordance with Christ's law, the royal law. Not necessarily the Mosaic law now, but the royal law, the law of God as explained to us, as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And particularly, we think of it, a lot of his teachings in Christ, the New Testament, further elaborates Christ's teaching on the law. Verse 13, though, for also further serves as a, encourages and warns us. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, and for mercy triumphs over judgment. If we do not show mercy, God will not show mercy to us, is this kind of point. And the converse is implied. God will be merciful to us if we show mercy. Our demonstration of mercy reveals that we belong to Christ because he has shown mercy to us, and therefore he enables us also to show mercy to others. Why do we show compassion and mercy to others? Because we realize how much mercy and compassion Christ has shown to us, right? We love others. Why? Because... We realize God first loved us. The only reason we love others as even and show grace and compassion and mercy towards others is because we remember what Christ has done for us, what God has done for us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God's mercy over us triumphs over the judgment that is awaiting. Jesus himself said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy as believers in christ let us be known as those who obey the law of christ rather than disobeying it right we don't want to be known who wants to be a church oh that's a church that disobeys the law they're christians but they don't follow the the laws of christ that would be odd right so when we show favoritism it is a disobedience to christ 
We want to be known as those who love our neighbors as ourselves. We want to be those who, know, who do show the same care for one another. We want to be, have, be people who are known as being of the same mind towards one another. We want to be people who show love for one another. Therefore, it, doesn't, it is incompatible for us to then show favoritism, show partiality. It just doesn't mix because it's disobedience. And I think that this may be hard for us to even begin identifying areas in our life that we show favoritism. Because uh, it, it, is, it is just how we operate on a daily basis in our world. We look at people differently, and we treat them different because of who they are, what they look like, in various circumstances. But may God reveal to us our attitudes of personal favoritism that we have. And may we humbly, by the grace of God, obey the royal law of Christ. Let us love God and let us love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we do when we don't show favoritism. As we conclude then, someone might say, look, you guys are saying don't show favoritism, but doesn't God show favoritism? Doesn't God, and look, he chose the poor. If God was loving and all, why didn't he just choose everyone, the rich too? That would be, because he's showing favoritism when he does that. Of course, and maybe you've, you've thought that. At least I thought, I thought I had to think about it for a little bit. But the reality is, the truth is, of the matter is this. Yes, God has shown us favor. God has shown favor. He does choose. But remember the important thing that I said in the beginning? It really depends on the circumstances, the situations where those that God calls for equal treatment of all, fair treatment of all. And when it comes to salvation, if God were to treat us all fairly, equally, justly, as his character would demand, no one would be saved. None of us. He doesn't have to choose any of us. It is all of his grace. That's what favor, the grace means unmerited favor. He does show favor, but he does not, it is not, that is, he is not required to show favor to all. God in his justice and also his mercy shows us favor, but it is not favoritism. In fact, God we could say that God shows favoritism towards us at the expense of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, I'll end with this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And this is the wonderful truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ dwelt in the glory of heaven above. He is He's not just glorious, he's glorious now, but he was also glorious before he came. He was in the glory of God as the son of God. He didn't have to come. He was rich in all things. Yet for your sake, he became poor. He emptied himself. He, became, he took on the form of man. He limited him, his own abilities in, this, in that little baby that was born. And then what's more, he eventually became to the ultimate poor in that he was brought to court, found guilty, 
and crucified for our sins, for your sins. So that through his poverty, him becoming poor, we might become rich. We might become heirs of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's because of this faith in Christ that makes us to be people who know that we ought to treat all people the same. Show no favoritism because favoritism and partiality are incompatible with this faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the, just the, the time for us to reflect on this sin and how it manifests even in the life, in our own personal lives and the life of this church. Oh, Lord, forgive us. We often do show favoritism where your word calls that we ought to show fairness to all. Lord, may you help us to realize that the, what e the evil thoughts, the evil reasons of our mind that lead to such treatment of others or speaking towards others. May you cause us to repent. May you cause us to renew our desire to obey you, Lord. Help us by your grace to walk in obedience that others, so that our community, this city, may know that we are people who obey the royal law of Christ, that we are people who love our neighbors as our very selves because we love you. It's all because even ultimately because of who you are, because you loved us first, because you showed mercy towards us and compassion. Oh, Lord, may we be known for the same. In Jesus' name, amen.